Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Today, though, we are so excited to have uh, Zenobia Neal with her second novel, The Genie's Last Wish. Um, not only does she write powerfully captivating erotica, but here in this very bookstore, she bewitched, enchanted, and snatched up one of our longtime booksellers and made him her own. Um, so it's a special setting for an erotic novel. Um, but uh, I, we all do, we all do know the author quite personally, and um, as a thinker and as an artist, um, she really has um, an amazing power of intellect. She's like an old school intellectual where she's got esoteric academic depth of knowledge, which is balanced by this wonderfully refreshing candidness. And there's such an open spirit that um, you will really see in the work. Um, besides which, she's just plain charming. Um, now I do have to embarrass her for real. Um, this, these, her historical novels have been widely praised. Um, they have been called lyrical, seductive, unique, exquisitely described, beautifully told, elegantly conveyed, timeless, cinematic, hauntingly sensual, vividly imagined, lavishly detailed, and achingly beautiful. Let's please give a warm round of applause. Everybody, thanks for coming. Um, are these seats taken? Okay, so the the teacher and me is. If anybody is sitting is standing in the back, there are seats in the front. <laughs> um, okay, so thank you for coming. Thank you to Skylight for having me and Carrie for introducing me. Um, so a few years ago, four years ago, I had an idea what would happen if a eunuch was given a genie in a bottle. And then I did a lot of research. <laughs> um, so that book became The Genie's Last Wish. And I'm gonna read you two passages. Can you hear me okay? Is this good? Okay. Um, and this is the first one. Chapter one, Dark Star. Olin stood guard in the relaxation room as girls clad in silk gossiped, drank coffee, and nibbled at pastries. Some napped on cushions while others practiced music and the dances they would perform for the sultan. Olin's presence, along with the strap attached to his belt, served as a reminder that the rivalries among the odalisks were to be kept in check. The scent of coffee, cloves, and hashish filled the room. A soft melody on the oud drifted through the air as a blonde girl inhaled deeply from the hookah. When she exhaled, the smoke floated up, changing to blue and red, colored by the light streaming through the stained glass window. The soft music continued as the girls reclined on silk pillows and the plush Persian carpet. When Olin's master, Mustafa Aga, chief black eunuch, entered the room, some of the girls sat up and all ceased speaking. Upon seeing him, Olin bowed deeply. Though the music did not stop, everyone was alert as Mustafa Aga the keeper of the girls, the one who held their lives in his hands, strode over to Olin. Taller and broader than any other black eunuch, Mustafa Aga wore a red 
ruby red silk kaftan over saffron silk pantaloons. A new gold and sapphire pin the size of a robin's egg adorned his saffron turban. A girl has displeased crimson petal sultana. She awaits punishment. Though Mustafa Aga did not speak loudly, everyone heard his high-pitched voice. Some of the girls glanced away, as if to avoid notice. Others narrowly hid smiles, e eager for the gossip that would ensue once Olin and Mustafa Aga had left. Olin said nothing as he followed his master down the corridor. His job was not to ask why, but to do whatever he was ordered. Crimson Petal Sultana had recently been on a rampage against the slaves of the other two Kadeen, the Sultan's other wives. When the Sultan's mother died two years before, Crimson Petal had convinced the Sultan to break tradition and allow her to be in charge of the harem. Now, with the help of Mustafa Aga, she governed the harem as first Kadeen and insisted on being called Sultana. In the antechamber of the gallery, Carnation, one of Mustafa Aga's many black eunuchs, held an odalisque by her wrists. Like all the girls in the harem, she was exquisite. Her skin pale as the sand under the desert moon. Her long black hair, loosely braided, hung over her midnight blue silk dress down to her waist. Though the coal had been smudged, her dark eyes held a captivating light. Olin resisted the urge to stare. He imagined she was like him, a traveler, previously unbeholden to any land. Many of the girls in the harem had been Christian and came from Europe, but not this one. Suddenly, the girl slipped free. She dodged Mustafa Aga's large hands and seemed on the brink of making it to the door, but there was nowhere to go. The house of Felicity was like a maze. It had taken Olin months to navigate the twisting corridors designed to keep all who belonged to the Sultan inside. Once a woman or eunuch entered, they stayed until they died rarely of old age. Olin cornered her, grabbing her from behind. She struggled, and he pulled her close to tighten his grip. When she turned to look at him, her eyes burned his heart. There is no escape, he said, bringing her wrists to, it, to her chest. Her breasts against his forearms brought a torment of desire, an ache where his sack had been. I will beat you softly, he whispered. Cry out louder than the pain. Put on a good show for the sultana. She stopped struggling and went limp against him, defeated. He wondered if she even understood. Few of the girls spoke Turkish when they first arrived. They were all foreigners, Greek, French, Spanish, Venetian, Russian, and English captured at sea and sold to the Sultan, or Circassian beauties, Tartars, Macedonians, or Georgians sold by their parents to feed the rest of the family. This one had olive skin and smelled of jasmine. She could be from anywhere. Mustafa Aga yanked her away. He gripped the odalisque's wrist, and she placed her hand over his, as if to pull him off. Mustafa Aga's growl came out as a high hum. She stared at him as if assessing her rival, then quickly bowed her head. Do not forget you are the sultan's property, but when he is not here, you belong to me. If you try to run or resist, I will beat you myself, not for show, but for my own pleasure. He squeezed her wrist, pinching her delicate skin between his strong fingers until she yelped. Olin suspected she was taking his advice and making more noise than there was actual pain, though if anyone knew how to hurt a girl, it was his master. Do you understand, Mustafa Aga asked? Yes, I will do as you say, Aga. Olin guessed from her accent she was Jewish. 
had been Jewish, but like everyone in the harem, she had been converted. But unlike the other girls, she didn't lower her gaze. When she caught Olin's eye, her lips turned up slightly. He worried then that she would be his undoing. I'm going to stop there because I don't want to read the rest of the chapter out loud. <laughs> um. So it was hard to figure out what to read because the next part is a little bit rough. And, um, and I didn't want to give anything away, but I decided that since... Um, since the book is called The Genie's Last Wish, that it would not be too much of a spoiler to read the part where the genie comes out. There's a genie. There's a genie in the book. <laughs> spoiler, genie in the book. So um, Olin and Darkstar meet um, under some not ideal circumstances and kind of develop a relationship. And um, then they find themselves in a precarious situation. And I'm going to read it in a second. Okay, so this part begins, oh, I wanna say that um, Rocky is a Turkish alcoholic beverage, and um, also in this scene, Darkstar is naked. So this passage begins like this. Rabbit Olin, he could smell her fear as she said it, and he foolishly wondered if she was cold as his thumb stroked the old iron. His mind went blank as he rubbed the bottle, once, twice, thrice, wondering how many times he needed to rub the metal before confronting her. Would she cry when the genie didn't appear? He would have to give her more rocky and make her get dressed. They would wait for Mustafa Aga together. Perhaps he would beg his master to give her some opium to make it easier, perhaps. But the stopper popped out of the bottle with unexpected force and fell still attached to its chain. Something began to drift from the bottle almost lazily, like smoke from an extinguished, an extinguished lamp. Olin stared at it, unaware he was holding his breath. The smoke soon formed into shadow, into a shadow which grew and thickened until its shape was defined into that of a broad-chested man. I'm sorry, a broad-shouldered man. He did not wear a turban or any other kind of head, head covering. Instead, long black hair tinged with red was tied with a thong at the top of his head, forming a tail that fell halfway down his back. Wearing nothing other than a ruby-red wrap around his narrow waist, the genie's burnt umber skin seemed to ripple, bursting with heat. A large iron cuff curled around his muscular forearm, and one of his wine-dark nipples was pierced with a small iron hoop. His legs formed as solid and muscular as a man's, and he planted his feet on the ground. The genie's broad forehead fur furrowed as his flaming eyes narrowed, settling upon Olin. Who summons me? His voice was soft, yet thick as smoke. The genie's appearance and the power emanating from him struck Olin mute. When Mustafa Aga had first looked at Olin, he had a sliver of the power the genie possessed. This being before him could destroy whatever he wished. Palaces had been built and civilizations buried in sand at the hands of the jinn. The genie glanced around the room, assessing his location and the mortals sharing the space with him. Olin imagined if his, if his master walked in then. Mustafa Aga would not hesitate to say, I am your master, you will do as I bid. Olin chewed at the nail of his middle finger. Either Darkstar was not a madwoman or he had caught her disease. Who summons me, the genie hissed. 
I did, Olin squeaked, worried he might piss himself, but he was too terrified. The genie's eyes of flame lit upon him. Do you claim to be my master now? I am no one's master, not even my own, but I have need of your magic, and I suppose I own the bottle that imprisons you, wise genie. The flames in the genie's eyes danced as they inspected this new mortal. His hand shot out and caressed Olin's cheek. Olin flinched, but resisted the urge to fall to his knees. You are of the desert, the genie said, as if recognizing him. You should not be locked away in this cage. No, Olin thought. No one should. For the briefest moment, Olin rested his jawbone against the genie's hand. He closed his eyes and saw the stars on a clear desert night. The freedom of so much open space. The ability to go anywhere. Oops. He didn't want to be the genie's master. He wanted to rest in his embrace and whisper of secrets long forgotten. The genie's hand felt like sand against his skin, and then the mirage disintegrated and drifted away. The genie stared at him, his expression bemused, desert-born, but now beardless, eunuch. It was the first time Olin had heard the word uttered by a male without contempt. Yes, he said in his boy's voice, that is what I am. I suppose you no longer want to be this way. He turned, casting his burning gaze on Darkstar. You, he grinned, as he eyed the red walls and carpet, the instruments of torture. The amusement in his voice grew. Are you enjoying your wishes? I have been, she said. You did a good job on me. She ran her hands over her breast and down to her belly, shifting her hips as she went. Would you like to sample your handiwork one last time, if your new master allows it? The genie made a noise from deep in his throat, both a growl and sigh. Olin understood exactly. The genie turned away from Darkstar and back to Olin. What is your wish, master? Master. This word, almost more than the appearance of the genie himself, struck Olin mute. Hard. Struck him hard. Do you have a name, Olin asked? No longer. You should. All things should. Not I, the genie said. I am a creature of smoke trapped in a bottle, brought out to do magic for mortals, and thrust back inside. I did not thrust you back inside so quickly, Darkstar, Darkstar said, rising from the couch. The genie stepped toward her. Olin could almost feel the connection between them, though he did not know if it was rooted in hatred or in lust. How is it you come here? Olin asked. Ask the, women, the woman. A flame of anger lit within Olin. Such an unfamiliar sensation. He had a haughty slave. But the genie paid his new master no mind. Instead, he closed his eyes. Olin got the unsettling feeling the genie had cast his gaze over the palace, seeing all that was occurring. His eyes opened, bright with certainty. If you want your balls back, eunuch, you should decide quickly. The two of you do not have all night. Tell me, Darkstar. She stepped gingerly toward the genie, her body close but not touching. She appeared even smaller, weak and petite against his muscular form. Brave, Olin thought, then quickly corrected himself. Foolish. He was captured centuries ago. She reached out and lightly touched his nipple. A dark wizard took him, held him in irons, and pierced him. This, she tugged on the hoop gently, limits his powers. He is bound by this metal and the iron of the bottle. He must serve the keeper of the bottle, but only thrice. She ran her hand down his chest to his taut abdomen. He caught her hand and held it for a moment. 
the flames in his eyes burning bright with ravenous hunger. Olin had experienced countless times. The genie released Darkstar's hand and turned to Olin. It is true. She knows my story well. What do you wish for, beardless master? So um, I, I made something <laughs> other than the book and crafts. Um, I made this candle, <laughs> and um, we're going to have a giveaway. <laughs> and so my friend Carrie is going to have you um, write your name on a piece of paper, and we're going to stick it into something, and then she's going to pull out a name. Yeah, just your first name. So I'm going to... Unless your name is Carrie. <laughs> well, if you spell it differently, then that's true. Um, and Q&A, I guess? And then after the Q&A, the winner will be announced. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, that's a good question. Okay, so um, I got my first question, which was, what, what's the most, int what, what, what was it? <laughs> what's, what's one of the more interesting things you feel like, this, this, there's a lot of research that went into Yeah, yeah, so what was one of the more interesting things I learned about life in the Ottoman Empire? The palace, yeah. The, or life in the palace? <laughs> um, well, one thing that was interesting is how well-run everything was, that there was a mistress of sherbets, a mistress of confections, a mistress of the wardrobe. Um, there was a eunuch whose job was to record everybody's cycle, all the concubine cycles. Um, so there were like a lot of really specific jobs. Um, yeah, that was one thing. I don't know if it's the most interesting thing, but the, um, the use of the like, um, the eunuch ac acrobatic dwarfs that were like entertainment during labor was kind of interesting too. <laughs> I know, it's just not fair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think, I think it's like so. Uh, her question was about wishes, about how wishes never work out right. Um, I think it's kind of like a plot. Like, you know, if if things worked out, we would have no story. So if if we were like, there's magic and the magic works, boring, you know. <laughs> so I mean, there's also like usually this kind of irony in in the wishing. Um, so, and also, I can't help but think of that HBO show Carnival, like the idea that like for magic to be made, something needs to be sacrificed. So I think that there's that too. But also like if you're, if you're wishing on a, on a creature who's been like entrapped, they're not going to want to give you what you really want. And that's my own, that wasn't really in any book, <laughs> it's just my own interpretation. Yeah, it's just in the book I wrote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you did you 
I did not know very much about the biology of eunuchs when I started writing this book. Um, but I sure found out a lot of stuff that I wasn't sure I wanted to know. Um, I mean, I, I read like an Anne Rice book when I was a teenager about a eunuch. <laughs> Cry to heaven, I think. And um, I saw Fellini, is it, what was the movie? Not Fellini, the Castrato. Farinelli. Farinelli, yeah. So, I mean, that was like basically all I knew about eunuchs was that they had, you know, really great singing voices <laughs> in the, like, Italian Renaissance. But um, I didn't know much about this kind of eunuch system, um, which is actually, it was sadly very similar to what they used in China, too. They had a very similar system of eunuchs in China as well. Um, so yeah, I learned a whole lot, and then my my mom also ended up talking to um, a urologist about it as well, <laughs> <laughs> and giving him a lot of information that he didn't know. <laughs> you know, spread the education. <laughs> Any other questions? Well, that's, that's something that we've been talking about. Um, yeah, so one time I did end up in a very um, dark Quora rabbit hole, and the question was, do you give money to eunuchs? And so I think in India there are, but I feel like a lot of them are self-choosing um, eunuchs. I don't have the right terminology for this. So, I mean, as far as we know, there aren't eunuchs being made to, like, guard harems. But the world is a really fucked up place, so <laughs> it could it could happen. I mean, there there are people who are born that way, um, and then there are people who have accidents. But and I think in in India it seems like eunuch is a a thing, a, a genre like a, a yeah. So yeah, I mean, not the way that, uh, okay, so one of the really interesting things I learned while I was doing research for this book was that um, the system, I, I purposely didn't put a time period on this book because the system of slavery and making eunuchs didn't end until 1923. And so, like, officially, slavery ended before then, but not really. And so we ha there are photographs of, like, the last eunuchs who got kicked out of the palace, and they had nowhere to go, and the women who like were unclaimed, the like concubines who had nowhere else to go back to. So I mean, the, the craziest thing to me about, because it's like, whoa, this is so crazy, it happened 500 years ago, and it's like, we have photographs of that, it's not that long ago. Was that just governmental uh, changes? Like it, 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 was be it was because the, um, the Ottoman Empire ended, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it is similar in a way to what happened in China, too, because they also had eunuchs. And I, when I was in China, I got a book called The Last Eunuch of China. And it was like, what was it, 1991? Yeah. yeah. He, like, wrote the book in 1990. I mean, he's an old man, but, yeah. We're bad. <laughs> Human beings are just really bad. And also very good. <laughs> yeah. Like, no more questions after that. <laughs> I didn't even go into, like, great detail. <laughs>
Um, yeah, any other questions? Do they have, do the eunuch have other kinds of jobs? I mean, obviously one who sets to mm -hmm. guard the harem is in the harem, mm -hmm. but were there some that took care of the horses or milk the goats or yeah. other things? Yeah, that's a or good question. Well, so there were, there were in, in this period of time in the palace, um, there were two groups of eunuchs. There were white eunuchs and black eunuchs. And the white eunuchs were outside the palace, and they might have had jobs like that. And the black eunuchs were inside the palace guarding the women. So what? No, so there was this like loophole that um, if you were a Muslim, it was against the law. Although they, yeah. But, I mean, once you became a eunuch, they made you Muslim. But there was, like, this loophole. So, like, the, like, Armenians or Russian boys who were, like, given up as tribute were cut. And then African boys were stolen and cut and had, like, these two different jobs. So the, the white eunuchs were more like a kind of an army. I know this, this book's a really big bummer. That's why there needs to be a genie in it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know about, like, the, like, stable work and stuff, but they were definitely, like, on the out, like, more of the private army of the, of the sultan. Unsullied. They were the unsullied. So, the, the point was to control mm -hmm. the boys more if Well, so the idea, it started, the Persians started it, as far as we know, started making eunuchs. And um, they, they did it because they, just, they thought that men who couldn't have their own family would be faithful to them. And then also, you know, more docile, like when you fix something. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the idea. And, and it's just super controlling and loyal. Yeah, but yeah, it's the unsullied. Yeah. And I guess you always know that who the child belongs to. There would never be any doubt. Right, right. I mean, there's like no one else that could father. Like, so the, the bloodline of the sultan is very pure. But the other crazy thing that I learned was that they, um, unlike, unlike other monarchies that have like a very clear line of secession, they didn't. The Ottomans, the Osmali, did not. So they, it was kind of like whoever is strongest wins. So for a period of time, there was a, um, like a rule of fratricide. Like you had to kill your brother. But then they were like, well, wait, what if that sultan dies? Then who's next? So then they started putting the next in line in a gilded cage. Um, which is what I based my main character's sultan off of. So he's like, he grew up in a cage eating opium all the time, which, you know, makes a really great ruler. <laughs> so one of the things that was really... <laughs> and that is why I, like, stopped writing this book so many times, and then I was like, I have to continue because... The question of like, can you live in a cruel system in a world of like a really unkind world and maintain your kindness was the question that I really needed to focus on. And so even though like it's, you know, hundreds of years ago, maybe, like I felt like a lot of those questions were very relevant. Like when you're in that 
system of oppression, is it possible to maintain a kind heart? I hope so. <laughs> so yeah, and then, so the other thing is like the kind of um, game of fate that happened in this time period was like a woman could be like a French noble on a ship who gets captured and become a concubine. Or she could be like a Hungarian like peasant or you know countryside the person. Well, I mean, so everybody was a slave of the sultan, like everybody, and they could have their own slaves. So it's like this really crazy system where it's like a slave of a slave, and so they were treated. I mean, they were educated, they were fed, they were you know given really nice clothing and jewelry and fed, you know, so it's like, but they didn't, like, they weren't like, I mean, some of them might have been like, take me, I'll go, like, from the other parts of the countryside, because it could be, like, a way better way to improve their lives. Um, but so, like, the crazy thing is, like, these two different kinds of women could both be concubines in the imperial harem, and then, like, they could be killed, or they could give the sultan a son, and then they could become the queen mother, the woman with the most power in the entire land. And a, a boy could be born the son of the sultan and become the next sultan, or get killed by his brother. <laughs> like, or a jealous, like, mother of, you know, one of his half-brothers. There's just, like, so... The possibilities were all so crazy. So it didn't seem so weird to me that there could be some magic in this really bizarre world. <laughs> yeah. Why would the um, well, there were a lot of different reasons, but um, some, like one of one of the sultans, there was a rumor that some were unfaithful, and he like had like two hundred drowned. Wow. Yeah, and then others had like spats between rivals, and you know got pushed off cliffs, poisoned. <laughs> so they were disposable. They were totally disposable. That was the thing. It was like, and I mean, it was, it was very similar to what I've read about China at the same time, that it was like their value, like the value of human life was so minimal. But also it's like the wealth was so extreme. So it's just this really crazy world of extremes. Yeah. Um, there was a, I, as part of my research, I watched a, um, a Turkish soap opera <laughs> called The Magnificent Century, and it was really interesting and a very Turkish soap opera. Um, but the thing was that the eunuchs were not black in the on the TV show. Like, they were kind of slightly dark-skinned. And it made me really mad because I was like, this whole group of people have been forgotten. And it was hard to find information about them and like how they felt and what they went through. So I could just imagine and and try and you know make that up. So yeah. Other questions? Did you like the baklava? Yeah. <laughs> No, I kind of regret doing this. <laughs> Not completely. I mean, I love I love these characters, but like it was crazy. And just <laughs> today going around town being like I'm like 
Like I can't even, like we're shopping for baklava. I'm like, I'm not going to say Turkish, but um, I, I did write a short story that is related to one of the characters. I wrote a short teaser story. And I could, I mean, I could write more like short stories about these characters because they're all very real and compelling. But I think after this, I'm going, I have half a book about Dionysus and Ariadne already written. And I feel like going more towards the ancient world um, farther away from reality. <laughs> I mean, I liked this, this period of time was definitely like a different time period from what I usually write. It was very interesting. And I mean, there was a lot of, there were a lot of books that talked about like who was Sultan when and what battle was fought and, you know, even a soap opera to watch, but it wasn't really... It's, it's a hard period. I feel like I've said the things that I want to say about it. Yeah. Is it time? Did everyone... <laughs> did everyone get a chance to sign a name? You want to do the drawing? Yeah. No <laughs> cheating. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do one more. Do you want to hold it up? Oh, high? sure. I didn't know you had two. Yeah, I kind of didn't know if I had two. <laughs> okay. Close your eyes. Okay. There you go. Kevin. <laughs> Wait. Oh. <laughs> have an after party at Rockwell to celebrate my birthday. Yay! So you're all invited. Hey. Um, yeah, so that's all. So I'll see you over here. <laughs> You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by. And we hope to see you soon.